Hey everyone, Joe here, just with a quick message before the show gets started. I'd like to remind everyone that the Be Kind podcast is on Google, Apple, and Spotify. So if you're listening on Podbean or somewhere else, hop on over to one of those and subscribe and share with your friends too. Also, we were recording this via phone with our guests, and a lot of them were out in everyday life, so there's a little bit of ambient noise going on. But I assure you that the content and quality of everything going on and the thoughts being thrown around is great, so I hope that doesn't bother you too much. Thanks for listening, and enjoy. Welcome, everyone, to the Be Kind Podcast, part of the Animal Advocates of South Central PA's mission for a more compassionate and loving world for all creatures, where they have hooves, feet, wings, scales, fur, tails, claws. We love them all. They all deserve to be loved. Today, I have the pleasure of being joined by John Beck again, and Brian and Natalie. Hello, everyone. Hello. <laughs> Thanks for having us on today. Brian and Natalie, would you like to introduce yourselves? My name is uh, Brian Bonsteel. I work as a dentist in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and I'm president and founder of Humane Action Pittsburgh. The group that we have with Humane Action Pittsburgh is all about advancing animal protection with education, policy, and legislation. And Natalie, would you say uh, about yourself, please? Sure. Uh, my name is Natalie Awish. I'm vice president of Humane Action Pittsburgh. I've been with the organization pretty much since the start. I think I joined a week after Brian started the group. In my <laughs> She's only life, missed about 10 minutes of it. <laughs> uh, in my real life, I am a mathematics professor at Point Park University in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, but I think I probably spend more of my time working on animal issues than I do teaching math. And I'm also Pennsylvania's state director for Animal Wellness Action. Wow. We are speaking <laughs> to some quite connected individuals. Yeah, no pressure, amazing. though, John. Yeah. Uh, so we always like to start out with the very stereotypical question that all vegans ask each other. Um, what is your vegan journey? <laughs> I thought you were going to say, where do you get your protein? <laughs> but, uh, that, that's the next question. <laughs> uh, that's, yeah. <laughs> that's where meat eaters ask vegans. Right. <laughs> um, I'll tell you, my journey was, and, and let me tell you, I've had my share of meatballs in my life, okay? But I was actually in Washington, D.C. at a Humane Society meeting, and um, I just, there was a, a banquet of wonderful vegan food. But when I started to realize where my food was coming from, and I realized this does not match my values, and I wanted nothing to do with harming animals, I turned it off overnight. And I would say at that point, that was uh, vegetarian, but going vegan was just another step away. And, um, and honestly, beyond just knowing that I was saving animals and being a better person for that, I found that my health improved dramatically. And um, so there was just, you know, it was a win all the way around. And Natalie? Yeah, I think um, for me, I I basically went vegetarian when I was 13 years old, really just because I knew that it was wrong to eat animals. But I was a little wishy-washy about it, especially when I went to college and didn't have my mom cooking for me. Um, you know, I really didn't get the inherent cruelty behind eggs and dairy and, you know, didn't understand you know what goes on behind closed doors at factory farms one day i think i was in my early 20s a farm sanctuary was looking in pittsburgh for a coordinator for their fundraiser um, which was a charity walk the walk for farm animals and i have no idea what made me volunteer to do it because i had no experience um, in veganism explicitly no experience in event planning or fundraising but something just made me do it 
And as I um, worked with Farm Sanctuary and, you know, my eyes were opened to uh, the cruelties of the meat and dairy industry, um, I decided to go ahead and become vegan. And that kind of also started my uh, activism, I guess, if you will, journey. Wow. Those are both very compelling stories. And I like Brian's story a lot because it kind of relates back to something we talked about in an earlier episode. We interviewed a uh, owner and chef of the Indian restaurant that has extensive vegan options. And I told him that having these options and making this amazing food is a great form of activism because time and time again, the more people I talk to, it comes to, a lot of it comes down to food really is the thing that starts to make them reconsider where they don't realize veganism is an option until they have really good vegan food. And then their mind right. progresses down the chain once they realize that it's an option and then they start thinking about the cruelty aspect of it and then it just pushes them further along. You know what? When you go to a restaurant these days, what is the question every single waiter will ask you at this point? How does everything taste? Because when you go to pay for food, nothing else matters. You know, not how healthy it was or how kind it was. If the restaurant will succeed, how good does it taste? And, you know, as we've got better vegan options, mainly at Asian and Indian restaurants, people are finding out it's freaking good (laughs) (laughs) you know and then and then i think then they start get into it a lot of times we always say that you know telling somebody what you're going to eat or what you have to those are fighting words you know but if you can show why you get into veganism is it for your health is it for the humane reason is it for business reasons and there's a there's a whole talk about that as well you just find that everybody has their way to get their foot in the door and then when they do they know they can do it once they know they can do it then they jump in but i think people are just nervous early on something that's interesting though is that a lot of the animal advocacy work you do does not necessarily revolve around food itself can you tell us a little bit more about the current and past work you've been doing over at humane action pittsburgh well, yeah, it does. Um, and actually, Natalie can say, I think, a little bit more about this here because uh, she it was her idea to bring up the Compassionate Living Campaign. But in a nutshell, as we set out our initial goals to uh, end puppy mill cruelty in Pennsylvania, to get rid of the circus, and also to stop pigeon shoots, a real stain on our state, those were our initial goals. And, and quite honestly, it was coming from me in that I thought changing everything everybody's um, diet was going to be much more difficult than it proved to be. And I thought, let's pick the jobs that we can accomplish and that we know we can reach. But then uh, as Natalie came on board right from the start, uh, she brought in the Compassionate Living campaign. And you know what? It would be better if she told you about it. (laughs) Go ahead, (laughs) Natalie. Well, I think, um, and Brian, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but when Human Action Pittsburgh was first founded, it really was meant at the time to be a mostly legislative group. And of course, you know, especially in Pennsylvania, it's not easy to legislate on behalf of farm animals or by any means legislate what people are going to eat. So uh, the Compassionate Living Campaign was really brought in as uh, a way to create education and awareness um, around, you know, the plight of farm animals. And so it kind of started with just the idea to do a Meatless Monday proclamation in the city of Pittsburgh. This is, I think, back in 2015. And once we saw how easy that was, um, it just grew. And as we brought more people onto the team, um, we now are uh, working to bring plant-based options to schools. And uh, even we had a challenge with the city of Pittsburgh where I was called Heart of a Hero last year. Uh, the city of Pittsburgh had a 10-day 
rescue. Sorry, a seven day rescue. Ryan, was it seven days or ten days? It, it was seven days. Seven <laughs> days. Thank you. This was just last year, but my mind is fuzzy, I think, with all the COVID stuff going on. Uh, but anyway, it was a seven day uh, engine two, the, the, their Whole Foods plant based challenge. And we had biometric screenings at the beginning of the week and the end of the week so the employees could see, you know, how drastic their health changed for the better in just one week. Um, the Compassion to Living campaign, we're also starting a foie gras campaign here in Pittsburgh. Uh, we've taken on uh, a campaign to educate people about the plight of fish, since I think they're often very an overlooked species. And so uh, our Compassionate Living campaign is kind of just, it, it started as that Meatless Monday proclamation, but it's really grown into just a catch-all for all things education for all animals, especially those that are often overlooked, you know, the animals that are not dogs and cats. You know what, Joe, if I can add on to that, one of the things that, as we were saying, how are you going to introduce people to a veganism or a plant-based diet? And, and we don't always use veganism because we think that sounds like a scary word to a lot of people. <laughs> but plant-based, it's like, okay, that's, that's pretty harmless. You know, it might even be healthy for you. We started talking to different companies and, and the city of Pittsburgh, and we said, let's just get a challenge going. And so as we started introducing uh, classes to city employees, that um, seven-day challenge just sort of grew out of that. And before we knew it, we had Rip Esselstyn from the uh, the Engine 2 Diet here in Pittsburgh doing the challenge. And it came about with very little efforts. I mean, it, it was amazing how fast it came, came to be. But we had people who were meeting health challenge goals in seven days where they lowered their blood sugar. They dropped weight that they didn't think they could lose. And um, it worked out really good. And suddenly we got them on tape and people are like, my health is different and I can do this. And that they even wanted to. And and there were a lot of men involved with it too, which I was really glad to see because, you know, often, um, well, as guys, we just don't participate in these things <laughs> as well. Right. And Brian, you just reminded me of something too, if I could just add on one last thing. Uh, so another uh, event that our Compassionate Living campaign uh, hosted was Major League Baseball's first ever vegan night that we hosted with the Pittsburgh oh. Pirates. This was back in September 2017. Wow. And somehow uh, James Cameron's Game Changers movie crew found out about this event and <laughs> came to film it. And so James Wilkes came to our vegan night at PNC Park with the Pittsburgh Pirates, interviewed attendees, you know, asked them how the food tasted, you know, were they vegan, why were they at the event? It was really, really exciting. And our heart of a hero that Brian just spoke a little bit more about coincided with the release of the Game Changers. So as part of that week-long challenge with the city of Pittsburgh, we were able to screen the Game Changers with Rip Esselstyn was a part of the movie if you've seen that and, and he did some Q&A so it was a really nice tie-in and something you know exciting to kind of go along with that challenge that we did. And you know to Joe to that point about getting the first major league ballpark to have a vegan night some really neat things happened. One we had this idea um, but we didn't know if anybody would even come <laughs> other than like the five of us right. <laughs> well it filled up um, that to the point that they stopped selling tickets because they sold out and people actually came in from out of state and out of the country because they wanted to support the cause. Wow. And um, I thought that was actually pretty neat. And then suddenly the, the ballpark said, I guess we need vegan options. <laughs> and it, it was 
that easy. The point of the story, you never know where you can go until you ask, and we've just yep. got to make sure we're at. I know that Pittsburgh has a pretty big vegan community now because you guys just had a veg fest, and I, I saw video and everything, and it looked like it was a great turnout. Were you both at uh, the Pittsburgh veg fest? Well, you know what? There's a lot of different um, – I think we – have two veg fests in Pittsburgh. Oh, wow. There's two different groups that do that. Neither one of them are ours. <laughs> um, there's also another group called the Pittsburgh Vegan Society, which um, uh, had, was kind of a, a group that formed that really wanted to focus on just getting conversations around vegan food. And so we're not the the end all in Pittsburgh this way as far mm-hmm. as um, you know vegan food goes. But um, we love the idea that people are having more opportunities to uh, come out to um, you know, celebrate eating vegetables in public. And, um, so yeah, we're all, we're all about it. We think it's a good thing. We, we don't put it on though. Okay. That's awesome. It sounds like from your descriptions of what the work you do, that your advocacy runs the whole gambit from, uh, puppy mills to hunting to compassionate living from an advocacy uh-huh. perspective. What is the difference between the selling techniques I use selling, but the advocacy techniques you'd use for one of those initiatives instead of the other do you find a lot more pushback against the hunting initiatives or the puppy mm-hmm. mills or is the health eating aspect well, easier sell because it's more directly related to their everyday lifestyle and well-being you know there's there's a couple answers to that one one i would say is that in the wildlife killing contest we're going after something very very specific i'm not a hunter um but pennsylvania has a lot of them and um so we we don't we're not going after hunters specifically right now. The wildlife killing contest is a very egregious contest that is uh, so, it's just wanton, gratuitous killing. And um, Natalie, would you say a little bit more about that? Of course, you know, as an organization, you know, our mission is to protect all animals. So we are not pro-hunting as an organization. But as Brian mentioned, this particular campaign is very specific and just going after these very fringe, they're really not even hunting uh, contests. Um, I think maybe to your earlier point, I think one reason our organization stands out from other groups, we are always completely nonpartisan. We work with legislators on both sides of the aisle. We're always professional We don't shame people. We understand that people are in different places on their journey. And so we want to try to respect that and be inclusive of, you know, everyone on their animal welfare, the spectrum of that journey. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, we are always professional. We understand that there might be a time and a place for protesting, but that's not the space that our organization is comfortable uh, being a part of. And so I think we've just chosen to take a different approach than a lot of other groups. And again, not that there's not a time and a place for some of those other approaches, but I think we are filling a void in the animal welfare movement of having those professional nonpartisan organizations. So, you know, one of the things that's interesting to note about protesting um, and, and, and how we define it is that protest should only be used when every other form of communication is lost. You know, nobody wants to see a bunch of people with picket signs out their front door, you know, saying that you're a bad person. <laughs> right. So right. we would really like to see, you know, when we go into a meeting, our goal is to make a friend of the meeting and see if we can be welcomed back. We don't always get what we want, but 
we do get welcomed back. And that's because we're not protesters. And we believe that we do find things in common with people that think differently than we do. Right. And that is going to win the war on uh, animal abuse. So those have been a lot of the things, too. The other uh, key to this is education. And I know Animal Advocates does a lot of education uh, on your end. And that's why we're so excited to uh, partner with you. Um, but we just believe that as people find out about these things, and some of these are very disturbing issues with animals, of course, that uh, you know you almost want to turn away from. But as we say, that doesn't do any good. <laughs> so if we can just you know face these issues head on and know that we did something about it today, you can sleep a whole lot easier because, quite honestly, um, a lot of the stuff that we do didn't take that much effort <laughs> to get done, but to have a huge impact. If we can find... Uh, a, a better way to do things. We'll take that technique, we'll bring it home, and we'll put it uh, into business in Pittsburgh. Likewise, if we've got some good stuff to share, we're going to be telling everybody because a victory for animals anywhere is a victory everywhere. Absolutely. <laughs> so, I personally really like your strategy of targeting these very specific issues rather than just broadcast anti-carnism as a whole because that is a mm -hmm. much easier sell to people where you can show them the cruelty and unnecessary nature of let's say these pigeon shoots, and that's a much easier way to make people start being more compassionate to animals than just say flat out right, what you're doing is wrong in your everyday life. Your breakfast was terrible kind of situation. Right, <laughs> right. You know what? Um, and, and here's a perfect example of how well that worked. We had uh, someone, uh, one of our star people, uh, who's, who is actually director of our Compassionate Living campaign now, Kayla Seifert, who came to us at one of our HAP meetings, learned about animals and said, you know what, this is something she could get involved in. She started to um, you know, grow with the group. And then she said, OK, it's time for me to turn it off. Veganism is the way to be. And she just made it happen. And that wasn't her initial goal when she came on board with us and we welcome everybody of course but i think she just found again this wasn't compatible with where she wanted to be in life and she did it on her own with no arm twisting and that kind of approach we think works best and um and by the way we do have lots of good vegan food at the meetings but uh, <laughs> that's another story come on over anytime it's <laughs> <laughs> pretty good incentive <laughs> Uh, another theme that is coming up again and again in these conversations is the best way to make people go vegan is have them hang out with a bunch of vegans for a while. Absolutely. And you know what? I'd even add on to that. I'd say go work out with a bunch of vegans now and then. I think people think that a bunch of vegans are skinny people who um, are just, uh, you know, always um, you know, munching on carrots or whatever. It's like, my gosh, as uh, I started... I started really learning to cook as I went plant-based and I just didn't do it before. And I always said, Oh, I'm busy or, you know, um, I'll just go buy lunch out. I'm at the point now where um, my lunch at home is better than what I can buy in a restaurant. And people are telling me that when they come over, they like it too. So, um, you know, uh, hang out with vegans. You're absolutely right, John. That's the way to do it. <laughs> <laughs> Another thing that I would like to hear your opinion about is it sounds like a lot of your great Quite frankly, I think great accomplishments are more of the incremental change that comes under criticism from a lot of the more animal liberation-minded activists. What is your response mm. to any criticisms that you ever received along those lines? Oh, criticism? My goodness. Uh, we, we look for knives in our back all the time. <laughs> because we're getting into things that end up uh, affecting somebody's business. And so we always, you know, going back to our values here, we try to make a friend. We reach out. We say, come have coffee with us. But, um, you know, like when we got rid of the, the circus in Pittsburgh, 
we met with legislators. We reached out to the Shrine Temple because Pittsburgh has more Shriners, um, you know, per capita than any other place in the whole world. And they've been holding the circus for 67 years here in our town. So it was going to be a big thing. Um, also, too, as soon as we started to introduce this, um, Ringling Brothers was still in business and they came flying up with all of their attorneys and um, they had a lot to say. I guess yeah. what I'm saying about the, is, is making friends with this. We reached out. We tried. We said, get on board. We're going to show you a way out. We'll show you how to replace your circus with a humane one. And um, it didn't go well. We weren't well received, but we knew we reached out in good faith for a good long time. And then we said, let's make a law. And it turned out our legislators liked our approach of being pro-business and friendly. And then they sided with us. I do think that, you know, perfection can be the opposite of progress. And mm -hmm. so while I completely understand and respect and usually agree with the arguments of, you know, for example, the abolitionist movement, I do feel like our organization is often targeting a section of the population, often that's legislators. And I, I honestly don't think that they're going to be responsive to that message. Whereas mm -hmm. I think that they're responsible to our message because we're seen as reasonable. And I think once we can be seen as reasonable and we prove ourselves of, of, of being reasonable and professional and trustworthy, then as we were able to build that relationship with, with legislators or other key decision makers, um, you know, they're, they're trusting us more. And then we might be able to go after some, um, I hate to use the word bigger fish, but for lack of a better, <laughs> uh, you know, some, some bigger issues once we have that trusted relationship. When we first got started, I mean, it was, you know, it wasn't an accident that we chose uh, a retail sales ban in the city of Pittsburgh on dogs, cats, and rabbits, not from rescues, because we felt like this is a good way to get our foot in the door. Everybody loves puppies and kittens, and it's going to be supportive of this. And once we can establish a name for ourselves in the community, um, as Brian mentioned, you know, show that we're pro-business, you know, all of these things, then it's going to be easier for us to, say, get rid of the circus and convert people to a plant-based diet. You know, um, John, what, what we like to say, too, if we go out to introduce legislation, we always say this is common sense legislation. It's not an overreach. And so we often do go after the low-hanging fruit because um, in many cases, some of the stuff that we're going to uh, try to change is just so egregious, so beyond the pale of mainstream it's just absolute abject cruelty that um when people find out about it they're enraged they're like how is this allowed to go on and we've got to do something about it absolutely but then the flip side to that is when <laughs> we've got to do something about it but what do we do and the formula that's worked out really well for us and i always like to give a nod to uh, senator roy afflerbach who is uh, one of my mentors and i'm i'll be forever grateful for him um is that public support and legislation is what brings about social change. And so we've got the public support by educating our groups, you know, in, in, in community. And then we work with legislators by educating them. And before you know it, we've got a new law and things are different. And well, there it is. There's, there, there's our whole strategy. <laughs> it seems to work though. It's pretty simple. Before you go, can you tell us about your current campaign with Animal Advocates and how people can get involved? So we, we're, we're working with um, with Animal Wellness Action and your organization, Animal Advocates of South Central Pennsylvania. 
um, to ask the Pennsylvania Game Commission to ban wildlife killing contests. So as Brian sort of alluded to earlier, you know, this is not traditional hunting. Um, this, these are contests that are held in a certain period of time where the goal is to kill the most of a targeted species as possible in that time period. So prizes are awarded, usually cash, but it could just be things like belt buckles for killing the most, killing the largest, killing the smallest. There might be bonus prizes for killing one that's pregnant. Um, in Pennsylvania, we have more of these contests than anywhere else in the entire country. Our organization has identified over 50 of them, but I'm sure there's a lot more that we just don't know about. And these are completely legal. Uh, when the contests are finished, the bodies are just dumped like garbage. I mean, you'll just see piles of dead coyotes in a dumpster. And so these are not animals being hunted for food or fur or property protection or self-defense or anything like that. And so in fact, they are commercial events, too. You know, they're sponsored. Wow. So right. Quite different than a hunt. So six other states across the country have banned these, whether it was through their legislature or through their game commission, like what we're trying to do. And so um, we are asking the game commission, like I said, to, to do a ban. And so uh, we really need people from across the state to help us with this. I mean, we're in Pittsburgh, which if you're familiar with the geography of Pennsylvania is basically as far south and west as you can get. Um, and, you know, we do have contests in our vicinity, but most of the contests are in the middle of the state or the northeast part of the state. We need people to join our team and, and what that would entail would be helping to educate your legislators, asking your legislators to sign on to our sign-on letter that's going to be going to the Game Commission, asking them to ban these contests, um, getting proclamations and resolutions in your own city and county. And that probably sounds scary, but you would not be doing it by yourself. Brian and I and the rest of our team would be there every step of the way with you, whether you need help just drafting an email to introduce yourself to your legislator. When you're able to get that meeting, you know, one of us can be on there with you. So it's not going to be something where you volunteer to help and then you're just on your own. We're really going to be with you every step of the way. So if anyone is interested in getting involved, um, how do you want to tell them to get in touch with us? What would be the easiest i think reaching out to us or the animal advocates if you're local to the york lancaster harrisburg area but if you're more if for some reason you're a listener out in northeastern pa or new jersey or wherever and you want to learn a little bit more about uh humane action pittsburgh's advocacy work and see what you can do with them i would reach out to natalie and brian and i'll put their contact info in the show notes thanks for giving us a shout and an opportunity to talk with you about this um i, I just I would really like to see, um, as we've talked about in our group, about become, making Pittsburgh the model humane city for the country. And we say model because we'd like every city to be the most humane city, <laughs> you know, but we'd, we're hoping that we can maybe set a trend here. But, um, you know, uh, what's better than doing that uh, than taking your friends with you? And if we can all just use our talents together and it's, you don't even have to quit your day job for this, but if we can all do a little bit we can easily turn this this state and, well, the country, I guess, yeah. into something that's much more humane. I'm, I'm more optimistic than ever that this is possible. And I've done advocacy work of this lines before, and if you have an email address and fingers to type out an email or even voice to text, you can make a difference. They do read your emails, and they do thoughtfully respond most of the time. And mm -hmm. the squeaky wheel gets the grease yeah. And you know what? I also like to add on to that, John, that, you know, we really believe 
that most people are good people and if they that they would get involved if they only knew what to do. You and I are not going to rescue 100 dogs and cats tonight, and that's not the answer anyway. But if we can educate ourselves and our neighbors, and if we can pass a few laws just to enforce the idea that we do need to have decent standards in our country, um, we can get this done. Um, it does take a, a lot of us, but um, it, it doesn't take the entire country to get on board with it. We can do an amazing amount, even with the people that we have. So let's keep growing. Let's stick together and do something amazing. Well, thank you both so much for your time and everything you do for the animals. It's really great to hear from you and learn a little bit more about your work. Yes, thank you. Uh, for well, thank on. you. Yeah, thank you so much. I'll tell you, we're big fans of Animal Advocates of South Central PA. So uh, uh, just like I said, glad to uh, partner with you. It, uh, suddenly the state just doesn't feel so lonely here. It's great to have, uh, great to have some friends around the board. Absolutely. Hopefully this is the first of many uh, partnership opportunities between our two great organizations. Yes. You got Absolutely. it, brother. Well, thank, thank you everyone you so for much. listening and thank you everyone for stopping in today. If you want to be on the show, have any questions, comments, concerns, send us an email at bekindpodcast at gmail.com. <laughs>